Welcome everyone to this series of exploring the philosophy of objectivism from different perspectives. And today we're going to talk about science, religion, and philosophy. Uh, here with me, thank you for being here, is uh, Robert Mayhew. I think we're going to have a very interesting discussion um, because one of the goals is introducing people who have never heard about objectivism, but we all struggle with, with questioning things in our lives, right? Uh, sometimes we uh, grow, grow up, I, myself included, I, I was raised up as, as a Catholic and uh, uh, practicing Catholicism and different religions. Some people even believe that without religion, there would be no moral, or that without religion, there would be no philosophy, right? So I want to ask you in your personal journey um, going through life, how did you end up finding in the philosophy of objectivism, of objectivism sorry, the answers that you were looking for? And um, Robert, in your case, for instance, when, when you were you know, finding your way to have um, different answers to, to questions, why do you think some people think that without religion there would be no moral or 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 no or no philosophy and where where does this come from is religion philosophy what is religion well, that, that's a lot of questions uh, to get to the first of it i think most people um, think that without religion there won't be morals because they've never given been given an alternative they've been presented in their lives they've been raised with the idea that um, uh, they've been raised religious and uh, they have the idea that that's where morality comes from. So that the alternative becomes either you're religious and have a sense of moral principles, you believe that there are moral absolutes, or you reject that, let's say you, you come to find religion irrational, you reject it, and so the alternative is going to be uh, subjectivism or it's moral relativism, every culture, every person has their own views, but it's just a bunch of feelings and opinions, there are no moral absolutes. And for a lot of people, and for good reason, that alternative is pretty scary or, or it has uh, obnoxious or, or worse consequences, so they stick with religion. Um, but they don't know that there's an alternative. Or, or they might find an alternative in, in a political, you know, in socialism or something like that. What about you? Did, did you ever uh, thought that religion was, you know, the, 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 the core of morality? Well, I was raised Catholic uh, as well. I don't know if, um, it was lukewarm Catholicism. And in high school, I decided, you know, I really don't take this seriously. Maybe I ought to. So I did what most Catholics don't do. I read the Bible. Yeah, there you go. And uh, it was around that time that I also started reading Ayn Rand. And so it wasn't simply that I had all these questions to which I thought there were no answers. I thought there were real problems with Christianity. And at the same time, um, I was learning by reading the, the Fountainhead, for example, that there wasn't only one thing called morality. There was religious morality, and it had a base that I thought was, was certainly it was disintegrating as I pursued it. And then I, there was this alternative that had a radically different conception of ethics that seemed to make a lot of sense to me. I, I didn't have the philosophy. I didn't have the equipment to, to establish that this was right, but it, it sounded good. And uh, that's kind of, um, so the, the already lukewarm Catholicism, when put to the test, disappeared. Um, and in its place, I, I gradually spent a lot of time um, studying the, this alternative I'd found, and, and it, it worked out. And uh, to my mind, it, it has a, now a really solid basis 
uh, that did not require the supernatural or an act of faith, what have you. Now, is, is, it, is it to blame humanity or it was just an evolutionary process? Because of course at first we didn't have science, right? Um, the, the first caveman, the, the, the first uh, homo sapiens in, in, in the planet, uh, you know, they, they didn't have any explanation of why sometimes it rained or sometimes you had lightning or droughts. So evidently myths and, and these dogmas and, and, and the invention of gods was like the logical thing to, to draw upon. But then 300 years uh, now we have, in, we, we're living in a new um, side of, of, of the spectrum where we have science and science is not punished anymore, right? Because Galileo and so many scientists and people who try to you know, come up with rational explanations to things that for centuries were seen as you know, the explanation is in the skies or the gods are mad. Now we have science and still people reject it. And some, some people think, especially uh, in Latin America, that by me saying, you know, I'm an atheist, I, I, and everyone is an atheist. Everyone is an atheist of all the gods except theirs, right? right. Everyone is an atheist of Sias, or Quetzalcoatl, or Mitra, of <laughs> any god except theirs, because of course that's the right god. So why is it so hard still for science uh, to be something accepted? Um, in, in, in a world where, where it's evident that we now have explanation. I mean, the cavemen, the, the first homo sapiens, they didn't have the alternative. We have it. But, but still some people refused even to accept evolution. I, I think it, you, you make a good distinction. I think there's a difference between the religiosity, if you want to call it that, of the, of, of the early man. And I think the fact that they immediately created stories to explain the world um, illustrates Ayn Rand's, uh, the, the point she makes that, that um, human beings require, whether they admit it or not, or like it or not, they require a set of fundamental beliefs. We don't, we don't emerge in the world hardwired um, with instincts and such that all we need is whatever is equipment we have plus sense perception. We're not animals in that. We're not perceptual animals. We, we need a set of ideas to navigate uh, um, uh, through the world that, that we find ourselves. And uh, I mean, this becomes, uh, I mean, she, she elaborates on this in philosophy, who needs it. But you're right, you can't emerge from the cave and just uh, uh, invent uh, um, a set of beliefs about the, uh, you know, rational beliefs about the fundamental nature of reality and, and the human mind's ability to grasp it and how we should live and organize society. So they invented stuff. Uh, they, you know, as you put it, it, it they needed, to, they wanted to thank someone for the rain that made the crops grow and uh, lightning strikes a tree and that seems powerful. There must be some cause of that. So they invented these stories and I think that's where religion comes from or, or myths or whatever you want to have it. Um, and so you really can't fault that, but uh, you know that that the emergence of these ideas. But you're right that in the 21st century or the 16th, or that that people are still um, uh, still religious. I think that um, that goes back to our earlier question. I mean, Ayn Rand once uh, wrote, and I found it very puzzling when I first saw it that that if it weren't for the ethics of altruism. She said mysticism and religion would have disappeared ages ago. And it's the sense that it's become ingrained in the culture 
that uh, this is what ethics is. It's, it's an altruistic ethics. That is morality. And, well, you're not going to get a good scientific basis for that, so we, we cling on to these religions. And even people like, uh, who I have respect in some respects, uh, Richard Dawkins, uh, he's been very good, I think, about challenging religion. But he wrote an essay called Atheists for Jesus, and he defends the, he says, isn't it wonderful, the idea that we should love our enemies? And it's too bad that we don't have arguments to support it. Maybe one day we will have arguments. But so clearly he's accepting that's what ethics is. And he doesn't want to give up ethics because that's problematic. Sometimes humanity, and this is something that, that Carl Sagan talks about, uh, the burning of the Library of Alexandria. You know, how, how a lot of knowledge that the humanity lost and it draws back centuries in, 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 in what we, we, we could have advanced a lot in science and we just couldn't because it was burned. So not only science is hard, but you persecute people who do it, you threaten their lives, you are chasing them constantly. So let me ask you, does religion, and I understand this, this uh, you know, like altruistic motives that sustain it, but is it fate that sustains religion, or is it politics and political power? Uh, has religion gotten all the way to the 21st century only because people need to believe in something and because they have faith? Or is it because the religion is also something that politicians, emperors, uh, conquistadors have used in order to perpetuate their power? Like, um, is it a mix of the two? Yeah, I think so. And I, I think, um, I mean, one reason where I think Islam is more dangerous than Christianity in the 21st century is that Christianity was defanged, in effect, uh, for the most part uh, in the West. I mean, there are, there are certainly exceptions, and there are people, you know, Christians everywhere who want to turn things around. But it had its teeth removed. It, um, it had its political power broken in the Enlightenment. But and yet, people, uh, and that's why in many ways you, ha you meet people who are perfectly decent. They go to church on Sunday, but they're, you know, they're computer scientists or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's, it's become a, more of a private matter, and it has no political power. And yet it's there in the culture. It is, uh, people cling to it, and I think for reasons we've said before. Whereas, um, yeah, I mean, the whole Arab conquest uh, of, of that part of the world, the destruction of the Byzantine uh, empire that was all uh, that was religion combined with uh, with politics with political power and whenever you have that it's uh, a disaster it's where the Galileos uh, um, the Socrates as you put it, although that was a in, in some ways a, a milder example of, of church and state or, or religion in politics but when the two go, uh, when the two are mixed it's it's a real problem one thing I think that makes that, that allowed, because it's not just that people are forced to be religious. I think a lot of, I mean, there's, there's a spiral there, a, a vicious circle in a way. Um, people who are religious want that out of an authority. They want a political um, figure with a lot of power to support their views. And Ayn Rand had, I, I thought, this very perceptive uh, psychological remark. She, she says um, something to the effect that the mystic is the person who, in confrontation with other people, they um, how does she put it? They, um, in the choice between I know and they say, 
they accept the latter. They, it's the, what other, it's choosing other people over your own mind and its grasp of reality. And I think that too, psychologically, in an individual goes hand in hand with political authority. There are people who, they have these views, at some level they have to know that it's not rationally supported, and what support do they want instead? Well, they want a political leader who can um, force those views or protect them or what have you. Now, we understand that uh, reason and, and science, science is a method to, you know, understand what's going on in reality using reason as the primary tool of observation, experimentation, then you draw conclusions, hypotheses. You can clearly see what is reason, what is science. Now, what is faith? Does such thing as faith exist or is only something that shamans and priests say, oh, you just need to have a little bit more faith. And the people who don't believe, they're like disconnected from their faith, right? I remember uh, whenever I asked questions in my Catholic school, they were like, like, you need to tune down a little bit your reason and like put up a little bit your faith. And I'm like, well, where, where do I find my faith? Where is the faith? And I remember there's a, a documentary that Morgan Freeman did, and, and he's an atheist, right? But he did this documentary about uh, God, and he goes all around the world asking different uh, religious leaders, like, what do they think? And they do this CT scan uh, to people. Uh, some of them are believers and some of them are not. And they, they are examining in the brain when they say, okay, think of God, and some, some parts of the frontal uh, cortex will lighten up in the people who are religious, and in the people who are atheists, they just don't. So is, is this like wired in us, the belief that like some people are more, you know, wired to have faith or some not, or, or what's going on there? First part of your question, you ask, does faith exist and what is it? Right. Does it exist? Yes, alas, in, in large uh, um, amounts. Um, faith is, now sometimes people equivocate, they, their faith is like, you can use it to mean confident, you know, I have faith in you, son. But epistemologically, faith is a conscious acceptance of a belief or beliefs in the absence of sensory evidence and reasoning, or in the absence of or even in defiance of, because there are some thinkers like Tertullian, you, um, reason tells you one thing, faith is the opposite, you go with, with faith, and a lot of the um, early religions are like that. So um, uh, yeah, that's, that's what faith is, and now in order to justify it, uh, I mean, Oscar Wilde once wrote that um, faith begins in skepticism, and I think that's a very good point. I mean, every defender of faith has tried to argue that there are limits to reason. Reason can't know everything, and yet we need to know these important things about the supernatural, whatever, so that justifies a faith. And, and they take this view that, uh, and I think it's a very modern one, and, and it's uh, all the, the major Abrahamic religions, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, have had major thinkers who have argued for the the harmony of reason and faith. You have Averroes, uh, Thomas Aquinas, Maimonides. Um, and what they try to do is say, yeah, reason's really important, uh, and it should do what it needs to do in, in the terrestrial realm in a way. But we also have all these beliefs that reason can't tell us, can't, these questions reason can't answer. Uh, and so we need faith for that. Um, but it really doesn't work that way. Ayn Rand once had this, I think it's a great metaphor, she says that, you know, that shortcut to knowledge, which you call faith, is a short circuit destroying the mind, or, or destroying the mind, or something like that. And it is true, I think, you can't, the mind doesn't work that way. If you really, if you consciously think it's okay to believe things without evidence, 
ultimately, to the extent that you, you practice that, it's going to have really negative consequences in your life. And you're not going to be able to just keep it on church on Sunday. It's going to affect, uh, it's, it, that's where irrationality comes from in, in large part. Uh, um, and, uh, and it's going to have a bad effect on the culture too. And I think it's also going to affect, um, people can, for example, they have that mindset, that psychoepistemology is the term she uses, uh, and they might reject religion, but they're going to replace it with something else that is equally unsupported by uh, reason, like uh, socialism or yeah. uh, something like that. So. Yeah, and, and, and I wanted to ask you that because sometimes relig religious people, um, when you, you know, um, publish in social media or, or you say somewhere that, you know, you don't believe in any God, it's like, oh, you're attacking my faith, don't do that, I feel criticized, I feel offended. And, and, and it seems to me that uh, when someone um, presents themselves as, you know, yeah, I'm an atheist and I think that there are better philosophies than religions and, and things like that, uh, they <coughs> like it because that makes them question the things that they don't want to question. It, it, it's not what you believe, is that by you saying so, you are making them doubt, doubt You know, like you're, you're, you're putting them doubts that they don't want to have because it's scary, right? I remember that when I left Catholicism um, and, I, and I left it by stud, studying history, when I started seeing, oh my God, this was a political scheme. This was the Roman Empire. They couldn't keep up anymore with, you know, all, all these mm -hmm. gods. And they were like, okay, now Christianity is the new fashion. Oh, okay, let's then, then change it, right? <laughs> it was like, let's listen to democracy. And I went to my dad and I was like, dad, I'm sorry, but I cannot be part of this institution. It's anti-science, anti-women, anti-reason. It, it, it is, you know, to blame for a lot of uh, kids' uh, sexual um, assaults and, and all these horrible crimes, right? And, and yeah, religious people tell you, yeah, but they also, you know, they cure people with cancer and they take care of the poor and they take care of the orphans. So it's like, you know, if, if you do good things, what does it matter, or all the bad things that religions have done, but you wouldn't do that with a political party, right? You don't, you, you don't support a political party that you know has some corruption just because they also do some goods, but it seems to me that with people, when, when it comes to religion, it's like, yeah, you know, we can skip the bad parts, still there's, there are good parts, because it's scary. It's like, how do you replace the... the, the The, the mentality that this is the absolute truth with something that will give you a bunch of doubts and a bunch of uncertainties. It's tragic because the result of it is, and I see this in my, my students, it's, it's the most important questions about what kind of world do I live in? What is it to be a human being? What should I do with my life? Is, is happiness a proper... All those questions are left... Um, outside the province of reason. I'm not supposed to think of those. Those come prepackaged from my parents or from someplace else. And so they might be very rational in, in other fields, you know, in their career, what have you, but um, these really crucial questions, it's as if I'm not going to pursue those with my own mind uh, and, and come to conclusions that I, I think are really satisfactory. No, it's um, they accept uh, from outside uh, just a prepackaged set of beliefs that are really quite strange if you pursue them. And the way to shut that down is that they say to you, no, you are the arrogant because you reject 
that there's a God. How dare you? How do you think that you have all the answers in the universe as to know that my God is not real, right? And, and I like a, a, a quote of Carl Sagan about that, uh, that, that he said about humbleness. And, and he said, who is more humble? I'm, I'm paraphrasing, it's, it's not his exact words, but like the intention was, uh, who is more humble? A person that tells you that in one book, there's all the truths, although it's not one book, it's like 70 something books and there's like a thousand years from difference from the oldest to the newest and they were not supposed to be packaged together as the absolute truth. Do you think that person is more humble or the scientist or, or the little kid who looks at the sky in wonder of, of all the things that the universe can teach and accept those, those truths, those, those realities as they come with no previous beliefs. Well, for me, definitely is more arrogant to say, this is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Everything is, has been thought for you. You don't have to think anymore. But still, when you ask the majority, atheists seem to be, you know, the, the arrogance. I, th I think there's something to what he's saying, but I would not use the concepts he does. He's, he's taking a Christian virtue, humility, and trying to use it against the religious person, and, and he does that because at some level uh, Sagan is, is a, a skeptic, or he sees skepticism as part of what the scientific method is. It's challenge, you know, it's not knowing all the answers. Um, but in fact, I, th I think a, a proper, I mean, a, an independent person should be proud of their knowledge and in the, their confidence in the efficacy of the mind and not be humble, because it is, it's humility that leads people, it's, it's, you could call it epistemological humility, that, that leads people um, to embrace a religion because you know, it's, they can accept this set of beliefs and they don't have to uh, worry about arguments and, and, uh, and thinking about it. So there is certainly the religious leaders and, and the people who are really in your face pro-religion, you could say that that, that doesn't quite fit um, uh, Jesus's conception of humility, but I don't think that's a very fundamental uh, criticism to make of, of the religious people. Once you, you go to this path of finding your, your own answers and you get scared, um, there are two things that could accelerate this process for humanity. And I don't know what, what, what are you going to think about this. There's a, there's a great comedy movie called Paul. It's about this alien that was uh, kidnapped uh, by the FBI and the CIA during the Roswell landing. And they have done all the experiments to the, to the alien that they can think of. Now it's time to like finally kill him and examine his brain. So the alien is like, no, I am not gonna do that. And he escapes. When he escapes, he finds uh, this, these two um, British guys that are doing like a road trip in, in America. <laughs> I haven't they, seen this movie it, yet. <laughs> it, it's an amazing movie, really, like it, it's a funny comedy, right? Yeah. But uh, they go all over the, the United States through the Route 66, and they, they end up in what you guys call the Bible Belt, right? Mm -hmm. And there's this girl, and she has been you know, brought up like super fundamentally Christian, and, uh, and, and she believes, you know, she even has a t-shirt that Jesus will save us and all of that. And Paul is in the toilet. So they're having a conversation, but she's not looking at him, right? And he, and he speaks like a normal human being, English, right? And she's like, no, because Jesus created us all equal and this and that. And, and he's like, uh-huh, what about the rest of the universe? 
no, 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 there's nothing in the rest of the universe. We are the only thing that exists in this planet. And he's like, uh-huh. And what about evolution? No, evolution doesn't exist. And then he opens the door, right? And he's like, so how do you explain me? And she just faints. She faints and drops to the floor because it's like, you know, in one second, all her beliefs are, are crushed down, right? Because how do you explain a, a different form of life from another planet that doesn't collide with what you've been taught all your life? So do you believe, and I know that this is a, a, not in the realm of philosophy or, or science, but in the realm more of science fiction, but for the purpose of entertaining the ideas that we sometimes have when we are you know, finding our ways, do you believe that if we would encounter a different form of life and, and we could contrast it with, with humanity, that would be the end of religions? I don't think so, because that would presume that um, there's some kind of argument or evidence out there that could dissuade the religious person. But I think th what faith does it, it provides a buffer between you and reality in, in a way. It's, I mean, it's the, there's this brilliant quote in, in Galt's speech about, which I don't remember the, the word for, but it's, you know, all of these things you people come up with, the religions and stuff, it's the whole purpose ultimately is to replace the it is with the I wish. And if a person's faith is strong enough, what they would do is they would try to, there would be certain passages in the Bible or the Quran where we can account, oh, so that's what he's referring to, the aliens. I thought it was just about the earth, but really Christianity includes, um, you know, <laughs> Solar 7 or whatever that planet, planet they came from. So, um, that's not in the Bible, so how do you, you just What's in the Bible? Um, there's, yeah, that's right. I've studied a lot of, um, I mean, I've studied a lot of the early Christian philosophers. Those are the first philosophers who attempted to explain Christianity. And there were all kinds of battles, because the, the Bible doesn't really say a lot and, uh, about a lot of the details. And on every major issue, the least common sense um, conclusion was the one that ultimately became orthodox. Uh, because the, the, the orthodox Christianity um, wasn't really established until the, the, the Council of Nicaea in the fourth century or something like that. So take one example was, what is the nature of Jesus? Well, there are passages that say that you know, Jesus was a human being, right? And then he was adopted by God and he became a, a special divine being. There are other passages that suggest that uh, God is divine, that he's actually, um, sorry, that Jesus is, is, is God-like somehow. So you had these schools of thought He's a human being. No, no, he's not a human being. That's purely an illusion. He's, he's actually a god, but it has to be one or the other. What was when the dust settled? What, um, what was the, the orthodox view? God is simultaneously fully human and fully divine. Um, how do you explain that rationally? You know, Shut up, my father explained. That was the, the title of a book. That I think, and that, that I think is it. It becomes, and that's where the politics comes in. Um, but, but, uh, yeah, I believe it because it's absurd. That was, that was Tertullian saying. It's, that, that shows how strong my faith is. That my faith is so strong that I accept what flies in the face of reason. He was talking about the resurrection, and he says, it's I believe it um, uh, because it's impossible. I, I, I accept it because it's, it is true because it's absurd or, or something along those lines. 
And you can't answer that. Aliens are not going to dislodge that belief from that kind of mind. Oh, you, 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 yeah. I, I, I uh, don't that answer. Oh, okay. Oh, you're hoping for the alien invasion yes, to. Uh, every, um, every day I'm like, please call. <laughs> <laughs> All religions play with uh, another life, right? The transcendence of, of the soul. And in fact, for example, one thing that I that I also blame Catholicism for the poverty in Latin America is that being poor is a virtue, right? The poorer mm -hmm. you are on earth, the bigger your house in heaven is gonna be. The the sicker you are, the more miserable you are in this in this uh, earth. Don't worry, God will compensate you on the afterlife. Uh, whereas the rich, the productive, no, those those guys are bad, right? That's one thing that I, I, I don't like about Catholicism that is deeply rooted, especially in Latin America. I don't see it that much in, in the Anglo-Saxon world. But the promise of a transcendence, right? Even the, the, the Muslims, right? They, they promise you, I don't know how many virgins, if you sacrifice for, for the religion. It's always the promise that things will be better after we die. And because no one comes out of, you know, from the afterlife back here to tell us like, what's the real religion, because I wish also that someone would come back and say, you know what, guys, actually, Zeus. Uh, Zeus is the right uh, god. The rest of the gods, no, those were not the right ones, right? Like, I, I wish that would happen. I don't think it's going to happen. But now there are people questioning that we're not going to die anymore, right? The, the, the promise of eternal youth. And here I have a book, it's in Spanish, uh, La Muerta de la Muerte, which means the death of death. And it's uh, written by David Wood and Jose Luis Cordero. And uh, it, it, you know, plays around with the scientific uh, uh, possibility or approximation that we're going to be able to, you know, stop the aging process, uh, cryotherapy, DNA, all these kinds of findings. And okay, maybe we won't live forever, but let's say we start living 200 years or 150 years or just more time. Do you think religions will still have a business when the afterlife is not is not that near anymore like it's something that you can push further on i i think it's similar to the alien uh question that Come on, uh, no 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 in, uh, in in the sense in the sense that um there's a really big difference between rational attempts to extend one's uh, you know, extend one's life. I mean, that's, that's a wonderful thing, which only science can do. And the promise of an afterlife that, you know, uh, that's beyond this, this world. Um, now, there's a number of questions there. there there's the, the question of the immortality of the soul right. and, uh, and the promise of an afterlife. And isn't that a good thing for the poor and all that? But in fact, it's, it really destroys... Um, the value of this world and living life now and, and seeking value in the world here on earth. I found it interesting when I discovered that um, I, Ayn Rand, she became an atheist at the age of 13 or something like that. And she said the reason was, not because the arguments were bad or they were, I mean that must have been part of it, but that it put value in another realm. Happiness, boom, after your life. And so this world becomes grossly impoverished because you're not supposed, you're supposed to you're supposed to um, uh, accept your plight as, as a poor person or a sick person, and you get special credit if you devote your life to the poor or to, um, uh, to uh, um, you know, like Mother Teresa and the, the, the sick of Calcutta. Uh, you don't get extra credit if you actually create a political system or produce wealth 
uh, that, that lifts people out of poverty, uh, that cures disease. No, that, that, that doesn't um, uh, um, get you any awards in, in heaven. So how do we do this? Because it seems that in the surface, we're offering people a really bad deal. It's like, you know what? Take your religion out. Take reason. No, there's no afterlife. You're going to have to find everything by yourself. And um, yeah, it's all about hard work. You know, if you contrast it with what we're competing at, which is you're going to live forever, there's a God that is always, you know, looking after you, it seems like a hard, like a hard task, right? But why is it that a rational philosophy, even though in the surface might sound not as a good deal as a religion, is always better than any religion? It's, it's sad that... Um people, their view of life is that I might hit, hit the jackpot and achieve really great things in heaven afterward. It says something about their view of themselves in this world now. And I have a, um, uh, I have a coffee mug at, uh, at my office at work, um, uh, and uh, it's a Far Side comic. And you see an angel sitting on a cloud, wish I brought a magazine. And um, so I think heaven would be a crushing bore. I mean, you can invent fantasies. Oh, I could talk to Aristotle, and I bet the library is really good or something like that. But why should we, you know, it, if that's what you're doing, if you're placing all your ideals and your values, and, and, and I can talk to dead relatives for people who want to talk to their relatives. Um, it, it, it's, it's really, I think, psychologically, it, it's, it's a terrible motive, and I think... For people who um, they, they don't want to lose religion because they lose that, then you have a lot of work to do to, to convince them that, no, this is where it is. A, a rich, uh, happy life should have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And you, you want to fill it with the values. You want to find a career and, and a romantic partner. And, it, and that has a certain finite duration. The idea of, you know, 800 years. I mean, at a certain point, you're going to get tired writing books or whatever it is you do. And, um, you know, honey, I love you, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's been 800 years. It's time for something. That, that it just, it, it makes, it seems to make no sense. So, by, by knowing all this, um, and knowing it's a, it's, a, it's a hard task because at the end it depends on, on, on oneself, what about being religious and objectivist. Let's say that someone in the audience is watching this and saying, huh, this philosophy sounds interesting, but I'm not just ready to like, you know, like, like quit my, my religion, whatever that religion is. Can you be objectivist and religious at the same time? Does such thing exist? Like the blue pill or the red pill? <laughs> what, what do you want to think? <laughs> truth or falsehood. Yeah. And, and in the end, um, yeah, I think there's too much emphasis. Uh, I wouldn't put any emphasis on calling oneself an objectivist, but at the end of the day, um, there's too much in because if you're genuinely religious, you're accepting a metaphysics that contradicts the the view of reality that contradicts objectivism's view. Uh, you're accepting faith with which um, flies in the face of objectivist epistemology. If your religion, if you've you've jettisoned your altruism or whatever that. I don't know what is left of ethical import in your religion. Uh, I guess you'd be better off doing that. But um, if you if you accept any of the uh, of the um, the Christian ethics or the Muslim ethics or whatever, um, then yeah, that's going to fly in the face with objectivism too. So it's it's really trying to have your cake and eat it too, or or to, to um, uh, accept a contradiction, and that's 
that really flies in the face of, of objectivism. So where do you recommend to start? If, 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 if some people in the audience are like, ah, oh, I'm interested, where, where would you start? Above all, I would say read the novels and the novels, and, and, the novels. and read it with an active mind. Don't yeah. don't go in because um, I think that there are people who I think start religious and they take that whole model and, and apply it to objectivism. Yes. They don't know anything about the flood, but they like being part of a group, you know, and so they they yeah. call themselves objectivists. But it really it has the same status in their minds. Um, I I mean I've been going to conferences since '83. And um, there are far, far fewer of those people. I mean, I, I rarely account them, I encounter them anymore at these conferences, but um, you used to more in the old days. Uh, but um, yeah, read the novels, and, and uh, Ayn Rand makes a con contrast between an active mind and an open mind. An open mind is often, it's a wide open mind, <laughs> anyway, everything spills out. But take an, you know, ask questions and say, what do you think of this character, his approach to life, and um, what and then and take the same attitude towards your own opinion. You know, be a good, honest introspector. Right. Ask, why am I holding on to this belief? Is it because I have good reasons for it? Uh, what, are, what are my motives? And then, you know, um, but yeah, the novels are good. And then after that, I would say. Um, I've edited a collection of essays You're on... You're already e leaving homework. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, no. Uh, then no. Find me. <laughs> and, and then I have uh, essays on, on Ayn Rand's, each one of her literary works. And I would say, particularly for Latin America, um, read, I mean, I think the place to start is, is the fountainhead for especially a young person. Yeah. But We the Living, I think, would really resonate with, with Latin America. Um, and yeah, I think that would, that might be a, a novel that, yeah. that reads, if, to the extent that I un, understand Latin America. Yeah, no, I started Rand with that construct. Uh, I studied in a very free market university in Guatemala called UFM. And uh, this, the, the founder started with Yona Reed, I pencil, that got him into Austrian economics with Hayek, with Mises, and then of course Rand. So like my university is like this ecosystem where all the, yeah. the pro-capitalist uh, uh, ideas uh, collide, right? And there was always like the book club of and Rand, but until I graduated, um, I studied political science and, and international affairs, I went to like uh, rent a book from the library I remember I read the first page. I didn't understand anything. I said like my, my English is my English is still bad, but in that moment I was like, no, this is no good. And I waited until like living abroad and doing some internships and scholarships. And then I grabbed it again and it hooked me. Especially because she explains so well cronism, corruption, this these entrepreneurs that are trying to struggle with people who who are not entrepreneurs, who you know that they're not wealth creators, they're, they're wealth destructors. And it resonated also a lot like with the living, with the, the Latin American case, yeah. And so finally, uh, unless there's something else that you want to add, I first want to thank you very much uh, for bearing with my questions. I know that some of them were a little bit off of what you normally would um, try to, to answer. I hope I see you again probably maybe in latin america thank you robert and thank, thank you, you all of you and please share this content we have a, a series where we're exploring objectivism with other uh members of the annual institute and we're gonna uh talk about other subjects but especially this if you know friends that are you know questioning their religion or trying to find answers to 
a better path to philosophy, please share this in your social media. Look for the Anran Institute. They are on Facebook and Instagram, on Twitter, and or also in my channel, Gloria Alvarez. You're going to find this. Thank you very much. You've been listening to New Ideal, a podcast from the Ayn Rand Institute. If you like what you hear, leave us a review, share with a friend, and subscribe to our other podcasts. This podcast was made possible by donors to the Ayn Rand Institute. Help support this podcast by becoming an ARI member. Go to aynrand.org forward slash membership.